Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. For those of you that have been here for the long march through the book of Ephesians, we are rapidly coming to a conclusion. Um, I am hoping that next Sunday I can conclude the book of Ephesians, and uh, it will be before my hair goes completely gray. But we've been in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and following, dealing with the subject of spiritual warfare. And as previously noted, spiritual warfare is not something that takes place um, uh, out there or up there or something, uh, but it takes place in the mundane matters of family and work and raising children. We need to remember that in our daily uh, engagements, we are involved in spiritual warfare always. Not against flesh and blood, as the apostle says, uh, but against powers and principalities, and we'll look at that in a moment. Last week, uh, or two, two times ago, uh, we read and focused on verse 10, uh, what it means to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, that we might have fortitude, that we might be resolute, that we might have steel in our spines for the fight that we enter into. And then the fight, uh, spiritual warfare uh, and the armor of God we dealt with last time, and noted uh, that we are on the offensive. Jesus said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Gates are defensive weapons. The church is not on the defensive as if, the, as if hell is storming the church and we just have to huddle and hide until Jesus comes back. No, it is hell that is on the defensive as the church, as the instrument of God's kingdom, advances and advances to bring greater and greater glory to God. And uh, we want to look today uh, specifically at the fact that you are on the winning side in this battle. My concern this morning is that you have confidence and courage in the fight that you have morale, if you will. Any commander knows that his troops, when they lack morale, are in danger of losing. So we need to have confidence and courage that we, as Christians, in the army of the Lord, as his church, are on the winning side, so that we don't lose heart in the battle that we are daily engaged in. With that in mind, let's pray and ask for God's blessing. All right, Lord God and Heavenly Father, we ask that you yourself by your Holy Spirit would come and that you would illumine our minds and hearts and that you would make your word alive yet once again, that our hearts might burn within us. And we ask that you would grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10, 11, and 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Two points to this morning's sermon. The two mistakes that people make with respect to uh, the, the devil and demons. Uh, one, they underestimate him, or, or two, they overestimate him. All right? <clears throat> we underestimate him, 
We point them as some kind of two-horned creature with a pointed tail uh, or some such. Or we overestimate him and begin to see uh, the demons and devil around every corner uh, that needs to be exercised or something. So those are the two points of the sermon. So we need to recover the words of the song which we'll sing in conclusion this morning, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Christians are not to live in fear. Christians are not to lose heart in the battle. Christians are not to be discouraged in the fight. The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. And we have for months pointed out that Ephesians is a book of cosmic reconciliation. That Jesus Christ is risen and reigning on high at the right hand of the Father. And that history is the unfolding of his purposes towards his ends until all, all his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Then the end will come and usher in a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. That is a positive future orientation. Jesus Christ is the ruler. <clears throat> so... I want to encourage you, and I want to give you confidence. But, first of all, let us not underestimate the devil and demonic forces, which are spoken of here. <clears throat> Three things are spoken of in these verses, which you need to take attention to, all right? First of all, that the devil and demons are cunning, shrewd, and deceptive. They're subtle like a serpent. Look at verse 11 that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. They are shrewd, they are cunning, they are deceptive, they are subtle like, uh, 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 like a serpent. He prefers to seduce you into compromise and uh, deceive you into error. This is, remember, the schemes of the devil are not unknown to us. They are always and ever twofold. They are to separate Christians from the Word of God by compromising, by uh, compromising morally or by compromising doctrinally, so that he leads one into temptation to compromise your moral commitment to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Or he deceives through false teaching into error to lead you away from the Word of God. Or it's to separate you from the world to actually persecute the church until you die. And we can be thankful that in North America today, for all the hostility of the secular society, post-Christian society, new dark ages, whatever you want to call it, we suffer nothing like the persecution the Christians' brothers and sisters suffer throughout the world. More Christians have been killed for the faith in the 20th century than all the 19th century combined, previous 19th centuries combined, and it continues today. So don't underestimate the devil. And though you and I don't face the persecution that our brothers and sisters in other lands face, don't be unaware of the schemes of the devil to deceive you and lead you into temptation. 
to compromise your moral commitment to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Recognize that with every temptation comes an, comes an opportunity to compromise. And that that is satanic. Do not underestimate these things. Secondly, verse 12. These powers are powerful. Look at verse 12. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. The ruler of the world. The world is in the power of the evil one. Elsewhere, and we'll talk about this momentarily, the devil is talked about as the prince of the power of the air. Powerful. If we had time this morning, and I'm sorry I don't, it would be a profitable lesson at another time, perhaps a Bible study, to study all the ways that the devil exerts his influence in individual lives, in institutions, in nations. Powerful. Cosmic powers over this present darkness. Don't be, don't underestimate. And then third, spiritual forces of evil. Look at verse 12. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This present darkness, darkness and wickedness characterize his behavior. That's why Paul says elsewhere, do not participate in the deeds done in darkness, but rather expose them. That's why I tell parents, we have very young children, not open to this instruction, but at some point future you will. Nothing good happens after midnight. Darkness. Almost always, Sinful forces are unleashed at darkness. Our police officers could tell you the statistics of crime increase proportional to the darkness. Wickedness. Spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Do not underestimate the devil or demons. Now, having said that, of course, I hasten to add, the devil is not God. He's not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at the same time. If he's over here tempting Caesar Santana, well, then he can't be in India tempting a brother or a sister there. Right? But there's a demonic host. Right? I hasten to add also what Martin Luther said. The devil is God's devil. That is, he can only do what God allows him to do. Remember, Job had to ask permission of God to go and afflict Job. Remember Paul? That was a messenger of Satan, the thorn in his flesh, that God had given him to keep him humble. And remember, Jesus Christ who said, Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Yes, you are prey. Yes, you're in danger. Yes, be aware. But I have prayed for you. 
that your faith may not fail. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So don't underestimate, but remember and be encouraged that the captain of the army of the Lord is Jesus Christ, who loved you and purchased you with his own precious blood. But don't overestimate the devil either. We don't believe in Flip Wilson theology, for those old enough to remember. Oh, the devil made me do it. Everything's the devil. Demon run. Oh, rock and roll, what's the devil's music? Oh, we got to exercise... And they got the demon of Calvinism. Demons, demons everywhere. I don't know if you read, uh, is it Simon Peretti? I forget. Peretti's book, This Present Darkness. They were fascinating books about spiritual warfare. They were fairy tales, but it was fascinating. It was a page turner. Couldn't put it down, right? But it was demons are everywhere, around every corner, influencing every person. Don't overestimate the devil. John Stott, Warren Thorpe's famous commentator on the book of Ephesians, has six stages in the developing drama of principalities and powers. He talks about their creation. Look at Colossians chapter 1. This is important for where we're going here, so look at Colossians chapter 1. Ephesians, what's Paul talking about in verse 12? Um, uh, authorities, powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces, right? Where did they come from? Their creation. In Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 16. For by him, that is Jesus Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Invisible things were created by Christ, right? Whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, the same spiritual forces Paul mentions in verse 12. They were created by Christ. All things were created through him, and notice, for him. The devil is God's devil. They were created by Christ, for Christ. So their creation, first stage, their fall, Passages in the Old Testament you may or may not be familiar with. Not going to take the time to have you look at now. But their conquest. Look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. Very important. Colossians 2 and verse 15. We read this in Ephesians 1. Remember Ephesians and Colossians are parallel letters. What's unclear in Ephesians, we look at Colossians to have more clarity, more light shed on it. So it's taught in Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 22, but we want to get further clarity, further light, better understand than we look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. Talking about Christ's death on the cross, all right? Verse, 14, uh, verse 13. You who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus took all our sins. He took the sins, your sins. He took my sins. And he nailed them to the cross. And Jesus Christ there suffered and died because the wages of sin is death. And he pays the penalty. 
There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It is finished. Tetelestai. Sin has been paid for. It's been dealt with. But that's not all. Read on. Verse 15. What else did Christ accomplish on the cross? He disarmed the rulers and authorities. There's those terms again. And put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Ironic, isn't it? What was the devil's desire? What was his conspiring all aimed at? The crucifixion of Jesus. And by that very crucifixion, at Satan's own devising, Satan's skull is crushed as that cross is raised to the sky. And Jesus utterly triumphs, putting them to open shame. He's a defeated, conquered foe. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 as well. Hebrews, James, Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3 and verse 22. Talking about Jesus Christ through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verse 21, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with, here are these terms again, angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. On the cross, he conquered them. On the cross, he vanquished them. On the cross, he defeated them. On the cross, he put them to open shame. And now they are subject to him. Christ is risen. Christ is reigning. They're conquered forces. In Ephesians 3, we learn of the fifth stage in the developing drama of principalities and powers, they actually learn from the church. I'm not going to rehash that. We looked at it a couple of chapters ago. Is that the church, how we conduct ourselves, how we behave ourselves, individually, familially, corporately as a church, ecclesiastically, is teaching something to the principalities and powers. It's showing them the benefit of the grace of God the transforming power of the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit in those who are disciples of Jesus. And then lastly, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, their final destruction. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 24. Talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the glorious chapter, I encourage you to read it maybe later today. It's very edifying, very encouraging, right? And verse uh, 20, let's begin 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in the own order, Christ the firstfruits, then in his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, look, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying, ah, there are those terms again. After destroying every rule, every authority and power. What is Jesus Christ, risen and reigning on high, now doing? He is not on the sidelines waiting to get back in the game after the rapture. 
He is not sitting up there wringing his hands saying, oh, look what's happening to my people. Look what's happening to my world. I can't wait to get back into the battle of Armageddon. He is now risen and reigning at the right hand of the Father, fulfilling his purposes to his ends. And what is that end? The destruction of every rule, every authority, every power opposed to him. Until the glory of the Lord fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. And then the end will come. Note, please, specifically, everybody enthralled with millennial fantasies. Here we're told very easy when the end, very easy, clearly, when the end's gonna come. After Jesus Christ has made all his enemies a footstool for his feet. That's what Jesus is doing now. I was going to close with this, but I'm not. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a preview at the end. Look at Romans chapter 16. Look at Romans chapter 16. Because I, this is all about encouraging you, right? Give you courage and confidence. Romans chapter 16, verse 20. Now, you realize what's going on in Romans, right? What's going on in the church at Rome? Nero is lighting Christians as torches for his party, Right? When you think of the context in which Paul writes, and you look at Romans chapter 13, Paul says, be subject to every authority because there's no authority except that which God's established. You want me to submit myself to Caesar? To Nero? That's what Paul says. You want me to pay taxes to Nero? Pay your taxes. And then we get to the end of the book of Romans. Look at verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's Genesis 3.15 all over again. Don't you see it? What's Genesis 3.15? He will bruise your heel. He will crush your skull. And Paul takes Genesis 3.15 and says, that applies to you. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Yes, there's persecution. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, you may die. Yes, your brothers and sisters will be thrown to the lions. Yes, they'll be lit as torches for Nero's parties. But that is not the future. That is not the inevitability. That is not the destiny. And it only took 300 years. For God to raise up Constantine, for the persecution of Christians to cease, and for the Holy Roman Empire to be established. God kept his word. Faith, very important. Faith is believing the promises of God. Despite all appearances on a horizontal level to the contrary. I've confessed to you previously my besetting sin is cynicism. It's why my wife says you shouldn't watch the news, Paul. It just makes me cynical. But I constantly have to remind myself when I get alone with God, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me. You're on the throne. And no matter what I see, 
in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or NBC or Fox or CNN or whatever it is, whatever organ you get your news. Jesus is at work. So the six stages of developing drama of the principalities and power of their creation by and for Christ, their fall into sin, their conquest by Christ at the cross, their learning, Ephesians 3, and ultimately their final destruction. But yes, there is ongoing hostility. We noted last week that Satan, though he is a defeated foe, is like a cornered rat or a trapped animal. Though his doom and destiny is sure, he's still got a lot of fight left in him. And yes, as John Bunyan said in Pilgrim's Progress, he portrays that roaring lion as on a leash. But if you've ever, got, if you've ever, if you've ever gotten close to a junkyard dog, you don't want to get too close, even if it's on a leash. Okay. There are many things we could go into with respect to this, these forces. And I'm sorry, another time it will have to be done. But one thing I want to focus on, and that is the mistake which far too many Christians make of thinking that Satan is the dominant force in world history or that Satan has all power and authority in this present day. And there's reason for people to think that, all right, so I want to be fair, all right. Satan is referred to as the god of this age, the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Don't those designations indicate that kind of status? No, they don't. No, they don't. It's a mistake to think that. I'm reading from someone I benefited from and uh, somebody I hope explains things better than me, so pardon me while I read this. What then does it mean that Satan is the prince of this world and God of the age? If it doesn't mean that has the upper hand, if it doesn't mean that he has the upper hand in directing world affairs, determining the results of evangelism, deceiving the thinking of men, and sowing discord in every area of life, how should we understand those designations? They cannot properly be interpreted until we understand the term world and this age. Now I've detailed this for you before and you could talk to Pastor Dan because he is a Vossian, and yesterday he came out to men's Bible study for those that were there, and he had Voss's uh, realized eschatology as a graph on his T-shirt. So you'll have to get him to show you that T-shirt, all right? But to put it briefly, is the coming age has entered into this present age in the coming, the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that the coming age and the present age are coextensive. So when the Bible says that Satan is um, the uh, prince of uh, the God of this age, it's not talking about the entirety of creation. It's talking about this age, which has been invaded by the age to come. Let me, I, I said this person can explain it better, and I'm trying to explain it. Pardon me, let him explain it. It's quite common for the term world to be used not in a geographic sense, but in an ethical sense. Here it denotes the immoral realm of disobedience rather than the all-inclusive, all extensive scope of creation. 
The world represents the life of man apart from God and bound to sinful impulses. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 for an example of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. It talks about worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. All right? So this writer says, when scriptural writers speak of the world, they often mean the world insofar as it is ethically separated from God. Paul contrasts godly sorrow to the sorrow of the world. The former, godly sorrow, brings salvation, while the latter, worldly sorrow, leads to death. Verse 10. If world here meant the geographic scope of creation, all men and things, then the sorrow of the world would include the sorrow of any and all men who live in the world, thus precluding the possibility of any earth-dwelling, earth-dweller repenting with godly sorrow and finding salvation. Furthermore, the juxtaposition of godly with worldly would require if world denotes a location rather than an ethical condition, it would require that godly correspondingly denote a physical realm or location. Otherwise, the contrast wouldn't make sense. Are you with me? Yeah? Joshua, you're not, the, you're not the barometer of whether people are with me. All right, so this author goes on. Paul is clearly using world for the unethical state of sinful rebellion and thus can contrast it to the state of godliness. Also in Colossians chapter 2, if you want to look there, you don't have to, Colossians 2 verse 8, Paul appositionally, that is by contrast, explains the elementary principles of the world as a philosophy which is not according to Christ. Hence, the elements of the world stand in direct antithesis to Christ. Here, the world is the unethical sphere of opposition to Christ. The term is uh, is qualitative rather than quantitative. It has an ethical, not a geographical realm. Are you with me here? It's very important to get. Otherwise, you'll think that Satan's in control, right? Right? The late great planet Earth. It's going to hell in a handbasket. Satan's in control. Jesus beamed me up. Can't wait to get out of here. That's all nonsense. When Jesus, risen from the dead, on the occasion of his ascension, said, all authority in heaven and on earth was given to me, he didn't mean all except the devil. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And Satan is now bound. All right, let me pull this to a close and land the plane here. We're going to sing this song. But I repeat these words that it might be burned into your brain and burned into your heart, that you would have courage and that you would have confidence in this spiritual warfare in which you and I are engaged. And though this world, with devils filled, should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, shall fell him.
Amen. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that we are on the winning side. We ask that you would uh, fortify us, uh, that you would strengthen us, that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, and that we may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen and amen.